Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Full Cast and Crew podcast this week. My guest today is Sean Donnelly, who is an incredibly funny comedian and actor who we've been fortunate enough to work with here at Meeting House Productions on a couple of projects. He's also appeared on Broad City, Inside Amy Schumer, and Alpha House on Amazon, as well as performing stand-up on Letterman, Conan, and The Stephen Colbert Show, all of which we will talk about at the end of the podcast. Anyway, Sean is a stand-up comics stand-up comic. If you listen to the pod, you know that I have a lot of admiration for the art form of stand-up comedy, and that's grounded really in an appreciation for what it is that these people do and how difficult it is and how pure and exposed an art form it is. Unlike acting, where you can hide behind the portrayal of another character in a fictional narrative, stand-up comedians get up on stage in front of us and there's an immediate, almost alchemical reaction that occurs when you are present in a comedy club that's about this person's kind of cellular DNA in some level before they even open their mouth and speak. Decisions are being made, assumptions are being formed, which may be challenged in interesting and unique ways. Uh, timing, structure of writing, there's all this stuff that goes into stand-up comedy that is what I kind of like to geek out on. but. Underneath all of my appreciation for that is just the type of people that fall into that line of work. And Sean Donnelly is just one of those guys who embodies what being a stand-up comedian is all about. And so I was really glad to have the occasion to reach out to him and say, hey, let's do a movie. Here's my conversation with Sean about signs. Shawnee. How are you, buddy? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. You know, just plugging along here and trying to figure shit out. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, as a comedian, what the hell do you do with yourself during the pandemic? I mean, I know it's not first and foremost on everybody's mind, the plight of comedians, but I feel yeah. your guys' plight because obviously we work with so many comedians that getting on stage and doing what you do every day is really the the lifeblood of your whole existence. And when you can't do that for months, have you ever had a time like that since you started doing comedy? No, I've been doing comedy... Um 14 years in July next month will be 14 years I've even in the beginning when I first started I don't think I went three months without doing it like once I was doing it weekly because when you first start you're doing open mics you're doing a couple a week you might have a couple days here and there maybe you'll have a week off just for lack of bookings you know a lack of of stage time but never three months so this was like like a remarkable amount of time not to go on stage and the thing about it is, is that the longer you do it, the better you're able to handle it. But if this, if you refer, if you're first starting out and then you have a three month break like this, you become really, really rusty. It's not even rusty; you just lose all all sorts of uh, skills. I've been doing it long enough that it'll probably take me a few shows to get back on track. But it's 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 not a thing that you just snap back into the minute you're on stage. It's not people. I'm like, I, I thought I was alone in this. A couple of my friends are like, I forgot my jokes. I don't know my jokes. Anymore. <laughs> Well, the good news is the audiences will be in a weird place too when you do go back to a club. They're not yes. they're not going to know what to do and how to be. So I think everyone's going to have that same level of awkwardness, which will probably help. Yeah. And I think it will help, and I think the I think the fix will be in a little bit. I think they're just going to be dying for anything. So even an awkward show with a guy trying to work stuff out 
is going to be way more entertaining than just their their Netflix or their TV, you know, their cat running around for the past three months. Sure. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so let's jump into the movie, and then at the end, we'll. I want to circle back to your new podcast and some of the other yeah. funny things that we've done together over the years. I was cool. I was so excited when you uh, suggested Signs because it's a movie that kind of has come up a bunch in the course of doing this podcast, but just never really had the person to kind of suggest doing it. But it's always that movie where I'm like so excited to watch it again, and I was so psyched to watch it again the other night because. Was 2002, which might as well be like 50 years ago now. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, not only do they not make movies like this really anymore, I was just so in the mood for just a good old fashioned thriller, M. Night, like Take Me There, Mel Gibson, Joaquin, the whole thing. I'm so in all the way. So what was it that made you suggest that? Well, uh, well, we were talking about the when we were texting, we were talking about the uh, my my new podcast, the UFO podcast. So I figured it was right along those lines. But even the reason why I love it is because it's so it's my hands down my favorite M Night Shyamalan movie. I think it's super underrated. I think it kind of got a bad rap because of the ending, which we can talk about at some point. But I also think it's very Hitchcockian. Mm -hmm. It's super Hitchcockian. And he, I think he even had that in mind because if you look at the, in the very opening of the movie, those titles are, those are some old school titles. If you watch, watch the opening again, and people who haven't seen it, it's this old, it looks like it's a movie from the forties. It has a very, very Hitchcock opening. It's very cool. The music's Hitchcock. The, 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 the idea of not showing you everything is very Hitchcock, you know, like, like you, you, you don't get a glimpse of these aliens in that movie until what, like about half hour into the movie or 40 minutes into the movie or whatever. Yeah. At least, I mean, if not even longer. Yeah. So what attracts me to that movie is like, I think, you know, I look at M night Shyamalan, it, you know, and I, I, I have nothing against the guy, but I just say, think that he's a guy who kind of, you hear about that in Hollywood. Sometimes these guys that you're surrounded by all this, like these people saying how amazing you are, you start to believe the hype after a while. And I think signs was at a peak when he actually was putting out some really quality stuff. And then it kind of went downhill after that, because I think he started believing his own press and then he kind of won it back a little bit with in, in recent years. But I think it got him to like, Hey, I just want to make a good movie. Like, he wasn't worried about, he wasn't worried about, I have to be Shyamalan on this. I have mm -hmm. to be, he was just making a really good, a really good, thrill. I guess you could call it a thriller, a really good, just eerie, just eerie, eerie, eerie uh, movie. And a really cool and really shot really well. And with, with really good, good acting in it and, and a really, and a really cool topic. And you don't even see like movies like that, like UFO movies done like that. Like it was almost done like you said, like a thriller, like you don't, you, you never, you never see that. You, you always see it done where it's like, we're battling the aliens. We're doing mm -hmm. this. You don't, you never see an alien movie where it's like, you barely see the aliens, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like you, like where, you know, that kind of thing. And when you do, those are always the best one because it, it, it lets your imagination go, go wild. So that's why I love this movie because it, 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 and it reminds me, like you said, it reminds me of a movie from the past, a movie that they don't make anymore. You know, look at what they put in, um, in theaters. Now, I don't even know, do you think now if they would they put it in the theater now? You think if it came out? No, it wouldn't even get made now. I mean, where, wouldn't even get made. Where's the now. explosions? Where's the spaceships? Where's the CGI? Where's the you know romance? Where's the this? Where's the that? It just it would never get there even with an auteur director. I think you're totally right. Well, on the titles, I forgot that it started that way, and actually that's the first time I looked on IMDb because I was like. Did he get Bernard Herman to actually do the music, like the Hitchcock composer guy to do the music for this? Because it sounded so Hitchcockian, as you said. And 
And I think so much of the movie is his, I mean, he is, I think Hitchcock is his thing. Number one, obviously. Um, yeah. Right. But it's gotta be so, so many of the camera angles, so many of the references in the movie. And I also think to your point, like when you're the auteur guy who writes and directs everything like he does, those guys always yeah. have that career where you got like two or three movies in a row that you're just like, it would have been better that you never made those as fans. Cause I've always had the feeling that guys like that should probably not write every movie they make. Cause I'm not sure that yes. wor- that doesn't work sustainably for anybody over an entire career. No, but when you, when you're in this business, you know, that like, like there's so many people wanting you to do that. And they, and, and his, he was a brand for like 10 years right. where it was like people were, and then he made the happening and that fell apart. Fell apart. Yeah. Cause if you watch the happening and you watch signs, it's night and day as far as like, pulling something off like the, the the writing in signs is actually good the, the 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 directing all that you watch the happening and you're like oh you that looks like somebody who was like trying to make an m night Shyamalan movie right. and screwed up you yeah. know what i'm saying uh the happening has one of the funniest you've seen the happening yes, correct yes that's and i'm going to spoil it for people <laughs> you know if you really don't want to know what it is it's so hilarious what the turn in the happening is you have to know it's just the wind is killing people it's just the air <laughs> like the earth is killing it's such a bad like you said like it's like just direct a good script don't you don't have nothing has not everything has to be a, a, a twist people will forgive forgive you for making a good quality sure. straightforward movie do you know what i mean but one of the best scenes ever in a movie is when Mark, so they're running from the wind and they're at this farmhouse and it's Mark Wahlberg is like the protagonist. He's like the main character in the movie and they find this old woman and she's a little bit odd, but they need shelter. So they go to her house and she's helping them out. And one night, uh, Mark Wahlberg is just kind of snooping around a little bit and uh, and the lady is just standing there and he's kind of creeped out. He doesn't know if she's been, because the wind in the movie like takes you over and makes you act crazy. Right. So she doesn't, he doesn't know if she was taken over by it. So he, he says, hello, he goes, hello, hello. And she turns around and she goes, what are you doing? You're stealing all my stuff. That's what she says to him. <laughs> and one of the best lines ever by Mark Wahlberg is he looks at her and he goes, what? No, <laughs> you have to watch. It's might be the single worst piece of acting I've ever seen in my life in a movie. <laughs> oh he God. just goes, he just goes, what? No, it, 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 it didn't match. Nothing matched. Like, they could have been in two different rooms oh with God. how this scene was shot. I hear you whispering, planning on stealing something. No, ma'am, we're not plan on murdering me in my sleep what no stuff like that that's what made that guy people kind of going after that guy for a while rightfully so because people started nitpicking every one of his movies right. which which isn't fair also right because i saw the the village not to go to every Shyamalan movie besides signs but the village actually isn't that bad no, i like the people, village village i like village i like uh and saw but signs to me Six Sense I love, but Signs to me is a, a head and shoulders above the rest. Just because I don't, you don't, the vibe, the whole time you're just like, this is just a quality movie. And the camera work he does in it, I think, uh, exceeds the camera work he does in all the other mm-hmm. movies. Like, even though, you know, he has, uh, uh, Six Sense has some misleading shots and all that kind of stuff. But just, he really pulled off a, a Hitchcock a Hitchcock vibe in this movie. And that's what I love. And it's one of those things where I, I have a movie podcast too, which I have to have you on. It's called defend your movie. Yeah. What I, what we talk about in the podcast is I think this, if, 
if you're a director or you're a writer or you're a producer and you're pulling off the intended product of what you've, of what you've done, mm-hmm. then you've won. Mm-hmm. If you're like, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're, if what you've done is the vision that you had from the beginning, then I think it's a success. Even if it's a B movie, a bad, uh, goofy comedy or whatever it is. But if you're fitting into that world of, of what nails it and, and what, what the intention was and you're really staying within the lines, then I think you're absolutely successful. And I think this movie exemplifies that for him. I don't think there's a misstep in the movie, even the ending, which I keep bringing up, but even the ending is fine. I don't think there's any part during that movie where you're not, uh, completely enthralled and you're, and you're in it. You're in it the, from the minute it starts. Well, I mean, when you're talking about the ending, I think what you're referring to is the fact that when we saw The Sixth Sense, that was like the first time in a while we had a movie, maybe since um, The Crying Game, where there was this twist at the end that right. once you saw it... and Or, or Usual Suspects. Or Usual Suspects. Like, yeah. you know, and it was a time when you could live without finding out about the twist in 10 seconds like we would now on the internet. But that was such a thing, like the Sixth Sense twist was such a phenomenal cultural thing that, you know, I think I remember at the time when this movie came out, people were like disappointed that it didn't have that, which actually I thought was a good thing because just to repeat, like, I've got to have a twist, I've got to have a twist is is the, that's the lamest kind of pandering that he could have done. And to his credit, he didn't right. do that. Um, so I actually, Cow-town. yeah, I wasn't thinking that at all when I watched it this time, like, I, like, what was the problem that people had with the end outside of that? Just like that they didn't like that. It was such a, like, it's the wind, it's the water. Is it the simplicity? Yeah. So from whenever I talk about science to people and how much I love it, they go, they don't like it because uh, that they, that, that why did the aliens come to a planet there? If their weakness is water, why did they come to Mm. a planet? That's what is it? What would we say? 70% water, water, 70% water. Now, what I, what I say to them is, it's a movie. <laughs> and guess what? They're not in the water on the movie, are they? They're on land. Right. They're not going near water. In fact, even Shyamalan himself, who's not a bad actor, by the way, not a bad actor at all. He plays uh, the guy who kills Gibson's wife. He's good in, in this. He's really good in this. And even there's a, uh, there's a line that he has, and he goes, at one point he says, I don't think they like water. So they came down to a planet. Yes, that's 70% water. We get it. But they're not going near the water, are they? But wait, like, why, why do we presume that they know what water is or that they know it's terrible for there them? They might not know that. There you go. There you go. There's there's a fix right there's there. There's no reason they, to suppose they, that. They, they, Maybe they don't have H two O where they're from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, absolutely. That's my point. Like you, that's 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 the 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 Shyamalan effect on people where they're like they were expecting a sixth sense style mm-hmm. uh, or an unbreakable, even unbreakable people mm-hmm. love because of what that little twist was on that. But um, they're expecting that, and they and it wasn't good enough for them. Yeah. And then and then I think some people have the issue with the callback at the end of Signs of uh, the swing away callback from where. Mel Gibson's wife dies in a, in a car accident right. and M. Night Shyamalan is the other driver in the car accident. And when she's dying and uh, Mel is talking to her and he says, tell your brother who's walking Phoenix in the movie, swing away, swing away. And he thinks she's just having, mm-hmm. they talk about it later in the movie. Her synapses she was are just firing. Having, yeah. Her synapses are firing and she's dying and whatever it is. And then what ends up happening is the end of the movie, uh, spoiler alert, uh, who's who's up against the alien with a baseball bat? Joaquin Phoenix, the least and the least plausible former <laughs> former major league prospect in movie history. But okay, 
Yes, yes, absolutely. I'll give you that. He absolutely did not look like he was going to be on his road to the majors by any means. But uh, and then sure enough, he says, I think Gibson at one point says swing away. And then he starts hitting. He Love starts it. hitting the, the glasses of water from all over the house. There's a lot. It's very intricate. And I think people thought it was a little bit too contrived. But I don't I don't care. Yeah, I But think you know was, what? Was, In the movie theater, people stood up and cheered when he did that. That was like absolutely loved that. That's the moment that he's smart enough to know that's the release we want. And yes, and that's like exactly when, when I, I think the storytelling that he set up with like Joaquin's failed baseball career and, you know, he struck out all the time, even though he was like a home run hitter, but he struck out. And that's what that was supposedly his fatal flaw, even though that wouldn't really prevent him from getting to the major leagues. Right, 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 right. But I think that moment uh, is so triumphantly good. And also, like, this is the kind of movie. It's funny you say that about like people complaining or movie nerds complaining, because to me, like, I love to know a lot about movies. I love to read a lot about how they're made and get into that. But I also preserve the ability to just go with a movie that is capably taking me somewhere and not worry about all the little bullshit along the way. And this is that kind of movie to me. Yes. I don't need to pick it apart over like, why did they come for water or this, that, or the other callback or any of that stuff. It's like, it's a master story well told and it allows you to go there. And, and the suspense that builds up, uh, whatever the ending is, whatever you think of the ending, it is it, uh, it is definitely a release of that suspense. So what, even if even if you don't agree with the methods that are being used in it, like even in the music, it's evidenced mm-hmm. in the music. I, like they 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 you know how the music sets the tone. The, even the music gets a release at that point. Everything. That's why I think it's such a good movie. Everything comes together. It's 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 not too long. You know, a lot of movies sometimes they go too long, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is. So it's it's just to me, it's a it's a it's a great package of a movie. It achieved what it sought out to to achieve, and that's why I that's why I dig it so much because yeah. I think um, I think it was at a time where at the perfect time in Shyamalan's rise to fame, where it was like oh, you're still in that quality phase where you're like, you're going to make something good but and you've learned from Sixth Sense and and you're kind of going from there. Yeah. You know? And also the cast is phenomenal and including Abigail Breslin, who this time I was like, wow, she is so critical and important to the movie. Above and beyond, obviously, Mel, who it's... Mel Gibson, let's, let's start with Mel. Like, okay. Movie star, I love the ups, the downs, the trials, the tribulations the alcoholism, the recovery, the whole thing, the controversy, you know, it's, to me, it's just part of this life writ large that, you know, when you look at this movie now is to remember that in 2002, he's like one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Yeah. And he's doing this role. It's kind of like atypical for him and very quiet and very interior and a man who's lost. It's not lethal weapon. Yeah. It's not lethal weapon. It's not, it's not a Mel Gibson role. And and you have to remember that was weird at the time too. Uh, he's mm-hmm. not fighting anybody. He's not the guy who who hit, wrestles off the aliens or say, he doesn't literally doesn't save the planet. He's actually kind of secondary in his own family in terms of who's figuring out what the hell's going on. Sure, and he's also uh, he's dealing with something that is not dealt with in big blockbuster movies, which is the crisis of faith. Yeah. That's like that because and I think because of what the country is and dealing with religion is such a hot button thing, obviously, and and people have their own beliefs and they don't want to see things like that played out on screen. But to to make that part of your plot of your movie is actually a pretty ballsy move if you really think about mm-hmm. it, because 
because that's I, that's what I thought was so great about it. The, the guy was, you know, you're, he was dealing with a personal crisis. There was a, a life event that happened to him in the movie that really uh, questioned his belief in God. And he was a pastor on top of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, when do you see that besides like indie movies, yeah. maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't see that at all. And the fact they had that in an alien movie yes. and that it worked and that it fit, it fit into the narrative and it fit into the plot and it fit into like the whole, the emotional aspect of the thing. Like you could have just had the movie about him losing faith. Like you could just yeah. have that and, and he would, it would have been a great movie. Like if it would have been, mm-hmm. it would have been maybe shot a little bit differently, but it would have been, if it was the whole thing was about that and then, I guess it couldn't hundred percent, but I'm saying like, that was a big yeah. emotional pull. That was a big, 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 uh, like it got you, it got you down on the movies level a little bit mm-hmm. more. It got, it got you like, it made it more, way more believable. It, it, it brought the, it brought the UFO world into a relatable source. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, even though they're out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of cornfields and it's, I forget where they are. They are exactly what state, but Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. They're in the middle of cornfields. It's M night. No it, movie it, takes place anywhere other than Pennsylvania. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I forgot about that. And um, but what's so? That's another thing to say. What's so great about this movie attracts me to it. It's a personal UFO story, right? Which you don't you don't really see, and but or you'll see it'll it'll always be like a buddy thing, like mm-hmm. ET, or it's things like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, or but even that's a more epic in scale mm-hmm. than this is. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. This is very, very piecemeal, very, very clues at first, it rises up and you're right. You never get to the blockbuster point of here's the battle. Mm-hmm. It's always, it's just a straight fight, you know? Yeah. And I think M. Knight said, you know, what he wanted to do was to do the alien movie, but reduce it to one family's experience because mm-hmm. that ends up being a much more profound way to show what the hell we would all possibly feel were this to really happen. And one of the great things about Signs, watching it again is almost all of the movie is about what I would like, which is the minutia of the experience of this actually happening. Like how the, yep. like one of the creepiest and scary things that he does really well is when he shows the little newscaster tidbits and yep. the newscasters are all so freaked out that that's kind of really jarring. It was almost, that was like kind of scary to me when I watched it the other night. Cause obviously we're living through this crazy pandemic right now. Yeah. It kind of fits. Right? It fits. And then like watching the newscasters, like, lose that newscaster thing as they're describing what the hell is happening in these lights in the, in the sky that are hovering everywhere. He does that. And also since we know the family and we know the, the, the two younger kids, I mean, it's it's so hard to have children act well in movies and to have Rory Culkin and, and Abigail Breslin be so fucking good. Like this movie doesn't work without those two actors exactly what they're doing. And forget, about the, forget about the adults. Like that's the emotional core, especially her. Like she's phenomenal, of course. But she's great. And and she and 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 you can also say, uh, you know, her presence in the movie kind of fits in. It's your poltergeist presence. Yes. It's your they're here, they're here. But it's it's. Uh, but I think it's even a better version of that because she has more. She has more mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, but it's that same thing. Whenever you're dealing with something ominous and you put children in, it, it makes it that much more more creepy. Mm-hmm. Where when because it's such a vulnerable. You have a vulnerable. It's, it's such a vulnerable source of mm-hmm. your anxiety being transferred into the movie, right? Uh, and and how you're seeing the movie, you're seeing through a kid's eyes, even when you know. And there's and there's also funny parts in the movie too. But one of the one of the best things ever, which we were joking around about when we were texting before we did the show, 
it was one of the best best jump out of your seat scenes ever in a movie probably yes. and I, even if you don't like this movie you have to admit this scene is remarkable and one of the reasons is because they don't give you much of anything mm-hmm. before it and your first view of these aliens in the movie is on one of those news clips and i think you're right making it that realistic and that minutia driven and that like something that you know like you know like i know what a newscast looks like yeah and to put that in it and make it and, and to blur it out and make it real world seeming makes you jump that much more because you're, you're, you're putting it right on yourself. What would I do if I was sitting there on the couch watching this? <laughs> because they have the, the scene in the movie where um, there's that it's a quinceanera or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a kid party in Mexico. And that's and Joaquin Joaquin has been in not in the living room. He's been in the closet. He's been in the. The, the little closet room under the stairwell overnight binging cable news coverage of the alien invasion. And there's this amazing scene where Mel Gibson kind of checks in on him in the morning and Joaquin has this glazed eye and he's like randomly reciting bizarre facts that he gave over 12 hours of binging. This. And, then they, and then they cut to the newscaster. Which, which is very, very Corona-like, very, it is. very pandemic-like. It totally was, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like what happened? Oh man! So it then, turns out you can get it from a um, a public restroom, and, and it's, <laughs> it's in the wind. It's definitely in the wind. So we got to stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's the. But then at one point he's watching. Uh, uh, he's watching the newscast, and he's all huddled up watching the newscast. And there, it's a video. It's so funny because it's exactly he's acting for you, like because yes. he's saying stuff to the TV that you would say if you were watching yes. that newscast. Because all the kids are like. Uh, they're speaking Spanish, yep. which even adds more mystery. That's yep. the perfect thing to do. Yes. Because if you don't know Spanish, it adds that much more yep. mystery to, for you to the, the scene. And it's all these kids, they see something behind the bush and then they're translating saying, it's behind the bush, it's behind mm-hmm. the bush. And it's even kind of funny because at one point she goes, Vomitos, Schultz. Yes. Goes, yes. <laughs> Vomitos, like, get out of the way. I want to see what's behind the bush. He also, and then at- he also like, M. Night does this brilliant thing where like the, the clip, it's basically like a user generated clip. It's like an early viral video. And it starts like in one area of the party where the kids are looking out the window and we just don't see anything yet. You just see like shrubbery. And then the genius of him is that it shifts. The kids all follow something that they've seen that we haven't seen yet. They go to another part of the house and the camera follows them. And now they're looking out down sort of the little driveway area. And then that's when this creature comes into the frame and Joaquin does the jump that we all did when we see it. It's exactly. And then when the thing pops out of the bush, but, but, but I'll tell you, that's what I mean by that's a, that's a Hitchcock level move, man. Totally. Pro, even if, if you're right, shifting the focal point and prolonging the experience, if he would have had it, because what happens is I think what happens in things like that, like say you say your eyes are on that one that one scene you said, like the nice shrubbery scene, you you're, you gotten used to that. You've gotten mm-hmm. used to that. So you're like, hey, I know the drill. Something will pop out of right. that, that bush that I'm looking at. But the minute you switch that up and then you're like, oh, maybe it's nothing or maybe mm-hmm. it's like, you're, you, oh, it's almost like he gives you a chance mm-hmm. to settle down and then he gives you the punch. It's very, it's brilliant. It's brilliant filmmaking mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's really underrated. That's the thing about this movie. It's not, People love it. It's like one of those things that people, I think, like a lot when you remind them about. Yes. It. You know what I mean? Like, like even with you, you're like, oh, I don't get a chance to watch yeah. this. But it's, but it's not like you're not putting it in the halls of classic movies. But it's, it's it for, for the time frame it came out and for all these different factors, it's up there. Like, it's in my top 20, I would say, in movies. Definitely my t- maybe top 30, but, top, but, but it's mm-hmm. up there. It's definitely among the top tier of UFO alien movies, period. Like it's, Hands it's down, in yeah. that pantheon and it has so many great references to Close Encounters. 
um, and other kind of movies of its ilk that it's both like, you know, it's, it's a love letter and an homage to those films. And it's also his original take on that through this lens, which it, it should get more credit, but you know, that's going back to his career. He's that guy. It's like, how many times did you go to the movies? Like maybe before split and you were just like, okay, please get it back together this time. I'm here again. I've paid my money. Yes. I'm ready to have the M night experience. And then you're watching yes. like the lady in the water or something. And you're just like, yes. Fuck, not again. Yes. Yeah. So many times. Yeah. That's what I think also, like I was saying, that's why this movie, uh, it, that's why his, what he did after this movie affects his mean average in people's mm-hmm. eyes. So that's why like, it doesn't get the respect that it deserves yeah. when you're right. When it's in actuality, it's like, that's why you, like you said with these auteurs, uh, like you, that's why you have like a PTA, like a Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. The guy, the guy knows the game a little bit. He goes, I'm not going to make, mm-hmm. that's why you have Tarantino saying I'm making tw- 10, what movies. Is he making? 10, yeah. 10 movies yeah. because they realize you leave them wanting more, yep. leave them wanting more and you'll be thought of, as a genius. If you do what Shyamalan did, where he kind of probably fell victim to mm-hmm. Hollywood a little bit, and, and which I don't blame him because he guy's trying to make a living. That's gonna, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But at the end of the day, he suffered quality for, for quantity. Uh, and, and that's, that's really affected him. And the guy was able to kind of bounce back a little bit, but even with that, I turned on that sequel to unbreakable or the sequel to um, the one with the, the origin stories on glass the, uh, with the, glass. glass. Yeah class yeah yeah and and it's just i haven't I seen that it, yet i i I, I I turned it off you did uh i, I mean I, I know when it came out it got really bad reviews it um, did, yeah and i was never i know a lot of people are like really into unbreakable and also glass it, it just never kind of got it for me I, I guess i'm just not that i'm not that deep of a comic book guy and i'm really just not a bruce willis fan it just he doesn't do it for me and his stillness which i guess reads as you know, depth in some things just didn't work for me. Like it really worked in Sixth Sense, which is a brilliant movie. Yeah. Um, and Bruce Willis is the perfect star for that movie based on what's going on. But I just was never really into the unbreakable glass thing. But I was blown away by Split, which I just thought was fucking amazing. When I saw that in the movie theater, it is a tour de force and just was to me a return to form. That's why I was even more excited that I was like, oh, great, he's back. And then kind of glass came out and everyone was like, ah, yeah. It's hard to keep that mantle up, man. It is. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to keep that that rep, that rep. It's like it's almost like you're on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> you're like you're trying to keep your rep going, you know. And because and I, I agree when it comes to Unbreakable. Unbreakable for me, I liked, but I didn't freak out. Like mm-hmm. Unbreakable was like an unsung hit for a lot of people for years before he yes. turned it into Split and 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 Class. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as far as the same universe, I think the idea of that, the idea of a realistic yes. superhero universe, is genius. That's why, and not to go off track, but the boys on Amazon is so it, mm-hmm. it is done pretty well because it's that's what that sure. is. It's realistic superheroes, and there's even more of a twist on it. But when it comes to, I think you're absolutely right. I think Unbreakable, I didn't see it for a while, and then I saw it years after it came out, and I liked it. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely don't think put it in in his no. the forefront of his his movie. Yeah, although that the the last scene of Split was is is great when when you realize it's part of this connected thing that's that's incredible it's fantastic i, I love that. I, that I think it totally you know it, it just set him up to kind yeah. of get get that get back on track like you said and, it's absolutely and when i was watching signs the other night i thought you know what this guy's gonna still make really good movies in the future i think mm-hmm. like yes i think he's still probably so young that having gone through all of these different things he's 
there's so many careers like this you can see. It's like you have these guys, they make this movie. It's such an incredible thing. You could never follow that movie up. And so inevitably, the thing they do right after that feels like a letdown. When in fact, it's really not so much of a letdown. It's just compared to this cultural moment that they sparked off. You could never really follow that up with another cultural moment. It happens to all of them. It happens to all of them. And yeah, there's, it's like almost like a sophomore, a light version yeah. of sophomore jinx almost. Right. Yeah. And, and if you're going to be the guy uh, who's going to write all your own stuff too, you're just putting way more pressure on it. It's not like you can, you know, he could have come off Sixth Sense and like probably had his pick of whatever the best you know, sci-fi thriller scripts were in Hollywood, but being the guy who's like, no, no, I'm writing my own stuff. I'm directing my own things. That kind of limits your pool there. And that's kind of a Tarantino thing too, right? It's like, if he's going to do all that himself, it's, it's putting a lot on it. Although he's been getting yes. a lot better lately than in the middle of his career in the Tarantino example. I don't know where you are on uh, well, he, once upon a time in Hollywood, which I'm just. Well, I was a guy, I was a guy with once upon a time when I saw it in the theaters, I didn't like it. Really? And I, 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 you know what it was? I becoming an old man and I'm going to the theaters. And if anybody talks at the theater, I, I, I can't take it. And I, I lose track of the movie. And I also, I didn't, I didn't realize once again, I'll speak about intent. I didn't realize the intent of the movie and what the, cause I was, I really was expecting, uh, you're expecting that, uh, that Tarantino vibe in the movie. You're expecting that. Yeah. Like, where's the monologue? Where's yeah. the kitschy language? Where's this? And I, but then what I did was I watched it on demand. Yeah. And I've watched it four times since. Yeah. And it's a long movie. So it's a lot of hours that of is. my life. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely That's love it. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I haven't heard anyone have that experience. I know a lot of people don't like it. A lot of Tarantino people don't like it. For me, it's like, my favorite Tarantino movie is Jackie Brown, which is an atypical Tarantino movie well, to love. I was just going to talk about that. Well, that's the one that I was going to say. Sorry to interrupt you, but I was going to say after Pulp Fiction, when we we're talking about so the sophomore yep. jinx kind of thing, he could have made anything and it would have been ripped apart. Right. And I was going to say Jackie Brown is a good movie. It's, it's not my favorite, movie. but it's a it's it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. And it's kind of, it's akin a little bit to Signs in that it's making a movie within the parameters of the type of story that he's trying to tell, it's not making a Tarantino movie, although it is in places, you know what I mean? It's like it's, his filmmaking right. is in service of the story instead yes. of trying to be the thing that is front and center. And for me, like I, I knew going in once upon a time in Hollywood, just from hearing and reading about where it came from for Tarantino, it was so personal that I think my expectation was it was going to be totally different because it was about his youth and about, you know, driving around in the car with his stepfather. And that's how he experienced, you know, LA and all this kind of stuff. So I was so all in and I just, I actually haven't seen it again. I saw it twice in the movie theaters and I haven't watched it again because kind of like counter to what you're saying, like I had such a special time seeing it in the theater. I don't want to kind of like start watching it here and like have my daughter walk in and interrupt it. It's like, I have to be in a space to kind of immerse myself in it you know, yes. because it's so special. It's so amazing. Yeah, one of my favorite things about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one, and one of the things that not turned me around, but really made me love it even more, there's a line from a review that simply said, this movie cares. It cares about what it is. Wow. And I think that's such a great way to put it. Because if you watch it, you really have to, because we don't think what goes into, mm -hmm. what we kind of know, because we, we've been on production, you've, you've mm -hmm. done production, we don't realize what would, what 
what would go into making a movie like this? And then you realize as to make this, not only would it be so much logistics, mm-hmm. logistical type stuff, but just the, like you said, the love that, that thing with his stepdad, he cared about every tiny mm-hmm. inch of this movie. There wasn't any, there wasn't any, uh, just, yep. just, just, it's a, it's a work day. Let's get this done. Kind of thing. Right. Every single part of this had a little bit of his past and a little bit of his, his heart in it, mm-hmm. not to be corny, but no, it, that's the way I feel that. And it also, when I, what, what made me realize is that it's his love letter to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that at first because that's my childhood. had nothing. I didn't go to LA till I was older. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, so to get, they would be like, if I made a movie about, you know, where I was from. So that's why, I love it so much now because the amount of care that was placed in making the movie mm-hmm. and, and it really shows yeah. and how high quality is just to get all those shots, just to get all those locations, just to get it to look like that is a, 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 an insurmountable feat. It's insane to do that. Well, and to go back to what you said about like, you know, he always says that he's only making 10 movies and then walking away. And I don't know whether, you know, we should really believe that or not, but he does say when asked about that, that it's such a young man's game young person's game to direct movies at this scale because it's really about caring about every frame and every layer of audio track and every actor and every prop and every piece of clothing and every set and all that kind of stuff. And you could imagine having the energy to pay attention to that on an epic film production like that. We're not talking about just like a a movie that you make with your friends, right? It's got to be exhausting. And also, unfortunately, and this is something else I've kind of picked up and maybe you think about this too, doing the movie podcast, like, when you delve into a really good movie made by someone who cares that much, I always reference Seven a lot on the podcast because that's definitely a movie that Fincher was paying attention on so many things Fincher. that when you look, when you start like diving into all the special features of like what's going on, 99% of people watching the movie are never going to know about that stuff. They're not even right. going to pick right. up on it. And right. it doesn't mean that that doesn't affect them because that's part of why they are moved and affected by the movie. But you could imagine just wanting someone other than like movie podcasters like us to freak out about how amazing that like seventh audio track is and how much it has to do with the atmosphere of the movie. Cause no one ever really knows. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And yeah, the, you're right. 90% of people, like you said, are just movie goers, but the amount, all, all that, the process and the, 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 and the uh, attention to detail is, it's it, even though they don't know it, it's a it's making it a better experience for them because it's it's elevating the quality of the movie with all the different you know all the different tricks, all the different shots, all the different like you said, laying audio mm-hmm. over this, whatever it is. And Fincher, uh, oh, two things I wanted to tell you about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That I don't know if you know yet. Mm-hmm. They're gonna do, uh, and I think you'll be excited. Uh, Netflix, just like on um, the other one, they're doing a four hour cut. I heard that, but is that true? Uh, apparently it's true. That's what I heard. I read a couple things about it. I heard Tarantino then, say that. And I was like, I'm there. Like, yeah, bring it me on. too. I'll watch it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing was, and I don't know how true this is. Maybe it's just an idea. Somebody said in a meeting once they're, they're probably going to do possibly a series, a, a Rick Dalton TV bounty, series, bounty, bounty law <laughs> series. Now, I don't know if you get DiCaprio for that. I don't know how that works out logistically, to be honest, because I don't see him doing a TV series. But 
Uh, I think maybe Netflix or something, maybe they'll have like eight episodes of like, maybe it'll be come out with the four hour director's cut version as like an added, you know, uh, an added, um, added, added, uh, you know, feature. Whatever. It could be. But, I, this is like Tarantino said that I think, cause they were saying like, well, if you're not going to make, you know, movies after your next movie or two, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I want to, he's writing a book. And he wanted to do a TV series. And I think that's where this came from, where he was like, for, you know, he's interested yeah. in the idea of like a metaverse where he can expand on these things. Um, but I would love that. I mean, listen, he, he did say they were going to like, they were going to release the movie with another, I think, 40 minutes of material that was either in and around the Spawn Ranch sequence or some other, uh, I mean. Probably the, the best sequence uh, in the movie, I think. Unbelievable, yeah. man. You could have a whole movie about him just going there. Yeah, that's a movie unto itself. I mean, so I would be there for that. I would I would carve out five hours of my day for that if Quentin wants to, to get there. Also, is Bruce Dern not coming into his own these days, man? <laughs> is he not nailing everything so that he's doing? He's amazing in Nebraska, and he's amazing. So in this. He was like he was fit to play mm-hmm. a crazy old. He was, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, it was supposed to be Shatner, uh, not Shatner, oh. no, not Shatner. Um, it was supposed to be uh, Burt Reynolds. Uh, uh, Burt Reynolds. I did hear that. Yeah. I did hear that. Yes, yes, I did. Which is crazy yeah, because Burt would have been okay. I mean, it would have been. Burt Reynolds did so much weird shit to his face and his hair. It's I, I, I haven't enjoyed seeing him on screen probably mm-hmm. since you know Boogie Nights, where Boogie Nights he kind yeah. of so embodied that, but. But Dern was so perfect for that. And also just he embodies Hollywood more than Burt Reynolds does to me in a way. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because he's one of these he's like guys. like an old school Hollywood actor, multi-generational family of actors, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, he's in it. He's in so. that world. So yeah, exactly. He's the, yeah, it's like whenever you have one of these actors where their kids start acting. Yes. So that's when you know you're within the dynasty of acting. Why don't we have that in comedy? Has there ever been? Uh, I think there has. There is. But I think because stand up is hard. And sometimes was, I know Richard Pryor's kids do comedy. I don't know. I don't know if Rain Pryor was doing That's it. That's true. For a long time. And then was it? Uh, maybe Why it was don't we have comedy dynasty families? We have acting dynasties. Because stand up is such a fickle freaking I've never thing. thought about this before. Now it's kind of like freaking me out. Like, But yeah, yeah, it is. But you would also think that you could impart like some of the technical craft to it, but maybe there's an innate being funny or not that you can't have just handed down. I think that's, honestly, it sounds, it sounds so pompous, but I think that's part of it. I, I, I mean, as a stand-up saying that, I go, yes, there's a, there's a magic that can happen from generation to generation. It's, it's, oh, but it's there is. It, you, you get filled with the, the, the Holy spirit of stand-up comedy. Right. Well, what I wanted to say is, and I talk about this all the time, Fincher's uh, Fincher, I think we want to talk about underrated. Fincher is unbelievable, but Fincher did the thing that you were talking about before. He he was like, I'm just gonna, I'm a director. Yeah, I'm a director. Right, and that's and he, but he, not that he's not respected in, in thing, but he's thought of as a director. Mm-hmm. But uh, like one of the most underrated things ever is uh, even though it's one of these things that when it comes out, when I say underrated, I mean the first splash of reaction mm-hmm. to the movie. Because some people, whenever I say underrated, people go, oh, it's not underrated, yeah, it's a great yeah. movie. I'm like, yeah, but it didn't do what it was. Right. It should have been like Oscar nominated. Right. Uh, Zodiac. Zodiac oh my God. is unbelievable. Zodiac. I, I, I love it. You're crawling inside my mind right now. I'm obsessed with that movie. <laughs> Seriously. I think that is probably the the greatest unheralded movie maybe ever made like i think it's so beyond good yes that i don't know why it didn't register at the time and it doesn't even really register now but i just watched it again a couple months ago man and not only is it 
definably, inarguably, the greatest Downey performance since he started making all the superhero movies. The only yeah. good one. The only real acting performance he's turned in since he started doing the Marvel movies. There's no other performance. The Judge? No. Yeah, no, you're sorry. right. How, how are you? Fantastic. I mean, admittedly, the being exactly the crown, but fucking right. Do you want a drink? I don't have anything blue, but I got... Don't worry about that. Don't, don't worry about it. No bother at all. Nobody comes back from the old days. To your health. Mine. Mostly mine. So, um... What's new? I've been thinking. Yeah. Somebody should write a book. Somebody should write a fucking book, that's for sure. About what? About Zodiac. It's not new. I've been thinking that if you put all the information together, maybe you could jog something loose. And then I was thinking that nobody knows the case better than you. Yeah, that's You know all the players, and you, you have all the files. Lost them. You lost them? Or, or I tossed them. I don't know, I moved onto a boat. You know that we work in the daily business, right? As in today. What do you think we were doing back then? Do you know that more people die in the East Bay commute every three months than that idiot ever killed? He offed a few citizens, he wrote a few letters, and he faded into footnote. Not that I haven't been sitting here idly waiting for you to drop by and reinvigorate my sense of purpose. It's four years ago, let it fucking go. You're wrong. It was important. Then what did you ever do about it? If it was so fucking important, what did you ever do? You hovered over my desk, you stole from wastebaskets. Am I being unkind? Oh, that's right, I forgot. You went to the library. I'm sorry I bothered you. No, no, no. Or Sherlock Holmes, which is Sherlock Holmes is Marvel, okay, but, but yeah, okay. But 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 I mean, but oh it, it fits God. into that. The it fits into that popcorn world. This is this was an actual amazing. That's uh, the thing. Imagine oh, imagine making actor. that movie and like how meticulous and amazing it is, and then it kind of comes out and it's just like, oh yeah, not really into that. You must, it must be crushing. I mean, you're him. Ruffalo is great. I'm not really a big Ruffalo guy. He's phenomenal in that movie. Jake Gyllenhaal. It might be the best thing Jake Gyllenhaal's done. Oh, definitely. No question. All the newsroom stuff, the the serial. Well, the, the, oh, my God. It's uh, I'm, a, was, I'm obsessed with that movie. It's fantastic. And I was reading a thing once where um, they said one, one of the reasons that a lot of people think it wasn't recepted well when it first came out is because – it, that's how the investigation went. Like it's very ABC mm -hmm. it's, and there's, they're taking you on a lot of, mm -hmm. a, for lack of a better phrase, minutiae. Yep. They're, taking, they're taking you on it's a, a procedural. lot of just step by, it's a procedural yep. and people don't want that don't want when that. they go on a Saturday night to a movie. They yep. want, bah, 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 bah. Yep. they don't want, and I, you know, you want to talk about procedural. I've just watched the wire for the, for the, <laughs> like I think the third or fourth time. So that that is the the king of procedural yes. things, where it's like there's there's no action in that show, yeah. barely any action whatsoever. Right. The whole five seasons. Yeah. So, but if you have to really be into that kind of thing. But I think besides the procedural stuff, 
there's a, there's a moment in, in Zodiac when when in one of the murders when he has that all black outfit on. Oh my he god! Goes up to those. In the, uh, that's the as terrifying as any. Yeah, by the way, yeah, it's all sunny and outdoors. Like it's not a, it's not like a seven creepy, rainy, dark hallway. Yep. It's like we're on a beautiful lakeside date, <laughs> and this guy in this creepy hooded black outfit is like just peers from behind a tree. It's horrifying, and and, and they just and it, that's as scary as any oh. horror movie scene I've ever seen in my life because they make it super ominous, um, like it's it's super random, making it sunny almost. Uh, makes it more interesting, yes. and then they—it's so for real. Oh, when he starts stabbing. stabbing them, he starts stabbing them, and it's so realistic it that that's what freaks you out and makes you upset. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the—it's the power of the movie is that this has gone unsolved for as long as it did, and mm-hmm. and even just following this chunk of its timeline in real time, really, where it's like the case is dormant for these vast stretches of time, if not for Hall's character kind of reigniting it. And, but that's what I love. Like I'm all aboard for that. Like when I love a movie like that, or if I love a movie like once upon a time in Hollywood or Blade Runner 2049 or any of these movies that I'm obsessed with, I know that I feel that way because when the movie ends, I would watch another four hours of it willingly. I would stay right. in the movie forever. Stay in the world. Yeah. You know, and that's how, you know, yeah. And that's how you know Zodiac yeah, is, absolutely. is is a phenomenal movie. It'll over time it'll it'll continue to probably grow in that stature, but it's always worth a re a rewatch for sure. A hundred percent. And uh and yeah, I'm 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 thinking because the only way you find out, because think about it, once that first big push for those movies is done, when they get released and they're in the theaters, and then once they get sent to on demand or you used to be video or whatever, like uh, it's already done. It's done. It's, it's already given, taken a shot. You got a week. So you have a week or a yeah, day. You have a <laughs> exactly. You have a day to, so that people are talking about it. Yeah. Like that's, that's solidifying. It's almost like first impressions are the only thing that matters in these things, because mm-hmm. that's what's solidifying people. A lot of people's brains for a while, because like we said, 90% of these people, 90% of people are just going to see what comes out. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they're flipping, you know, we watch this, uh, you know, it happens with comics all the time to people too. You know how many co- people I know, that when they find out I do stand up, they go, Oh, I went, went to a comedy show once. I saw this guy. He was the funniest guy I ever saw in my life. And I said, Really? What's his first name? And they go, I don't know. I, I don't know. He had brown hair. All right. Yeah. But he was the funniest guy you've ever seen in your life. Right. So, but people, but comedy, have short attention span. Comedy has that built in where, like, if you got hung up on that as a comic, you would you would never get any satisfaction because oh, most yeah. people are going to the comedy club for just that night out and they won't remember anything unless they're going to see a star in which case, which is almost separate from comedy. Like if you're, if you're going to see like Sebastian at the garden, that's not a comedy show. That's like a, that's a something else, right? It's It's a concert. It's It's a personal appearance. appearance. It's too big. It's not the, it's not what goes on in a comedy room. It's not the trenches. It's not the trenches. (laughs) More power to them. But that's and that's also like hey, they're they're that's the goal. They're, yeah. they're they're but also as a comic, like don't you doesn't he lose the ability to know that they're really laughing or that they think they're supposed to laugh, or does a comic not care? Well, there's a there's a there's a couple of theories behind that. Um a, well here's the thing, it's like uh if he okay, so they're all like-minded and they're fans and they're there for him. Uh, what's objectively funny, there's a there's a quote from uh, Seinfeld where he says even he, when he got back into it, the crowd will give you five minutes. So if he was truly being unfunny in one of those scenarios, 
it would dissipate. You would. How does he know? Start because uh, because people stop laughing. They if do you're really bad. Yeah, but he's so he's he's so that's good. A brand at this point. Yeah. yeah, he and he's so good. Like I. Sebastian also there's a lot of comics that you know and I'll I'm not gonna say mm-hmm. who said this but like they're like oh Sebastian's hacky and I'm like he's not he's very there's a difference between mm-hmm. what he does and what hacky is like he actually he's a funny 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 mm-hmm. funny guy but he's also he's created this world where people just they like watching him yeah. so he's his comedy is personality based yes so he'll never stop being funny to those people so the, it's really an objective uh mm-hmm. thing i mean a subjective thing of the, if you're like because you're either going to look at him and go i just don't get it but then there's people that are like i love right it. you know that kind of yeah, thing. we've seen that but, but yeah yeah exactly exactly so but as far as like as far as like um fan basically like even seinfeld was like you know with, with the jokes that he had like when he because he'll come back and go to a random mm-hmm. show at gotham so those people, they know who he is. And he said, they'll give me five minutes to get them on board. Mm-hmm. And then they're kind of sitting there like shaking their heads. If something doesn't hit, when you're joke, when you're joke reliant, that's what it is. When you're personality reliant, your jokes, they come through in your personality. And, and, and you're able to, to project you. Because like, like Sebastian Mascalco, there's no bombing going on. Because even if he forgot all his jokes the minute he got on stage for some weird brain thing, He's, he's doing just, his physicality he thing, and they love thing that. And yeah. He's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's he, true. He, he he could talk. He could talk about what he had for lunch, and then and come up with ideas there, and probably be okay. Yeah. Because that's the type of comedy. It is. Right. When you're a guy, when you're meticulous, and you're a Seinfeld, and you're sitting there, and every word is counted thirty different times. Mm-hmm. If it's not exactly right, he's, he's losing confidence in it, and, the, and then they're going to lose confidence in you. Right. right. So that's usually what happens. I think. I think, and also, I think you're right, though. I think a comic does know it happens to a lot of guys who get popular with like young college kids mm-hmm. and that kind of dissipates and that kind of ends and they go back and do a regular room and they kind of bomb because they don't know how to perform in front of anything but college kids. Right. You know, that right. Kind of, yeah. Which is a whole other thing, a whole other world, right? It's a whole other world. It's a whole other uh, uh, outlook and a whole other um, point of view. Okay. Speaking of comedians, I laughed looking, I was looking through your IMDb page uh-huh. and I was like, this is a certain slice of casting. Okay, just to read a few of your roles. Oh my God, you ready? Yeah. Security guard, cameraman, <laughs> lion chef, police officer, guard. <laughs> it's like it's like you say in your uh, Conan stand-up. You know that you have like the working man blue collar yeah. face, like, and you're it's cast the- in all of these. <laughs> like cameraman is so funny because it's like it's it's not even like a real cameraman. It's like a Hollywood version of what they think a cameraman is, which is like. Early guy with a beard who's like, "Hey, can you move over? I'm shooting over here." Yeah, that was and that was exactly what it was. It was it was one line in that show, Great News, and it was really fun to do. But all I do, I walk through with the camera bag. I say one line about her in the toilet, and then I that's it. That's, that's just <laughs> that's just what it is. Oh, I I I try to do bits about this because when you go you go first of all, you walk into a casting office and you see everybody that just looks every different version of you. Yeah. You see a tall version, black version, white version, everything. Uh, fat ver- fatter version, skinnier version, yep. you know, whatever it is. And I've gone out for stuff. Like I went out, I went out for CSI cyber once and it was so depressing because in the, on the script, on the sides, one of the directions was, well, the character that I was supposed to play was, was looking for wires in a, like a Best Buy type place. Okay. And he goes, and then he, uh, but I'm walking up and down the store looking for it. And then on the script, it said he waddled down the aisle. <laughs> Oh my God. And I was, so, I wanted to shoot myself in the head. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? But it's everything that I get is, is, is blue collar 
blue collar stuff is always the thing. I get fat Rick. I went for a line <laughs> cook on a boat once. Uh, security. Every, that's everything. I played Carpenter and some commercial for that Larry Wilmore show. Everything's always. It, this is a, people think I just have that job. What about commercials? Have you done commercials? Yeah, and I played a mechanic. You played a mechanic in a commercial. <laughs> I saw you. What was the one you did just a couple years ago? It was AT and T. Oh, didn't you do one for? Oh, oh, I mean the the, the Viking one. There's one that I played a guy that's waiting for his 23andMe test, but that's that was no, online. No, it's not that one. I could have sworn it was like like a mechanic or something, but maybe I'm. Yeah, mechanic. That's what it was. What was it? An AT and T. That's what I. Yeah, AT and T. What's the scenario? Remind me of the scenario again. Oh, okay. So they had a campaign. I think they're still doing it. It's called. Uh, just okay is not okay. It's actually a pretty oh, smart a- ad campaign. Mine was that I walk in. Oh, the the guy, this guy walks into my mechanic shop, and uh, yeah. he says, "Hey, it's a brake shop." And he goes, "You guys do brakes?" He goes, "Are you getting good?" And I go, "We're okay." <laughs> hey, hey, how you doing, uh, Phil? Are you guys good with brakes? We're okay. Just okay. We got a saying here: the brakes don't stop it, something will. That's not a real saying. It is around here. I wrote it. Just okay is not okay, especially when it comes to your network. I'm a mechanic, and I does it start with you like wiping your hands on a dirty, greasy rag as the guy comes in, or no? I'm, I'm, I'm. We know what it is. One of the things that didn't make it was there's a car up on the lift, right? And I'm. They had a bit where as he's walking in, I'm just banging on the tire with a wrench, like just because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. It's supposed to be you know what you're That's doing. That's funny. So the, the gag was I'm bad, and then he walks over, and I'm like, hey, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. I have no idea what's going on. They didn't use that. They had another thing that after I said, he goes, you guys go with brakes. They had a, a cool little effect where they wanted to do where the brake pad was on the, the wheel well, and they had a, a guy with a visible string, and after I said, we're okay, the brake that, pad fell off. That would have been off. great. It would have been great, but we did it. I guess they didn't like the way it looked. Oh. We did it a lot of times. We did it a lot really? of times, but it was really, it was fun. Believe me, man, I've only done, that's the only like national commercial I've done, but man, the, getting in that world is like, you're, you're, you're set because it's oh. like, they treat you like royalty. It's insane. Well, they have to justify the, you know, millions of dollars they're charging to, to shoot these things. Um, all right. So I also want to ask you, I know for comics to me, I've been lucky enough. Like I was present when McCaffrey did Letterman for the first time. Mm-hmm. You've done Conan. You've I've done Conan. You've yeah. Done, I did Letterman. Conan. Oh, you did Letterman. And, uh, I did Letterman. Wait, yeah. And then I don't I, know if I saw your Letterman. Did you, which did you? Which which came first? Tell me about the differences between Letterman was first. So Letterman was two thousand thirteen. Okay. Thirteen. Yeah. Two thousand August two thousand thirteen, uh, and then a couple of years later I did Conan, yep. and then a few years later I did Colbert in the same theater as Letterman. Obviously. Okay. Awesome. All right. And so those, obviously and that, that's the order they went. But obviously. Yeah. For you, I assume Letterman was the. Yeah, I. Mean, I, I how do you I, even do I that like, as a comic? Like, how do you even not get psyched out? Uh, you get in your head, and you you try to just get through it. And for it being the first late night that I was doing, it was. Uh, I I didn't think it would ever happen in a million years. I got the audition for it off a wreck off a couple other comics, so I owe a lot to this day. Uh, and I went in there. I'm like, I'm not the comic they're mm-hmm. going to have on Letterman. Like, I just, I just, I thought I was being realistic and thinking, right. not that I'm saying I, yeah. I didn't think I was good. I just like, I'm not the type they would do mm-hmm. that, you know, but I went through the audition. I think I even cursed in the audition. <laughs> I think I, I said something and I cursed and I was like, Oh, I'm definitely not getting this. And then about two weeks later, they called me up and they said, uh, we'd love to have you do this. And, the, and these jokes, they give you the rundown of the jokes they want you to do. And then we worked on it for about, 
I think the, from audition to doing it was six months. Wow. And I was completely psyched out. And, and I, I had my whole, I had a whole issue with my tie where I, I wore a suit and like we just said, I'm, I'm, I'm not a suit and tie guy, face, man, not a suit and tie guy, but I, I have to wear a suit on Letterman. And, um, I wore a suit. Well, you mean you have to, or you mean as a comic, you feel well, you have to? as a comic, you feel you yes, have to. They okay. don't actually come out and say that. Right. They don't give you a dress code at all, but everybody does it. Yep. I think you, you know, I, I could, I guess I could have done a jeans and a jacket, but I, yeah. I'd rather just do a suit, you know? Anyway, um, but the, one of the things that kind of made me a little bit panicked was right before I went out, I realized the mic pack they had for me was in the, uh, the was in my pocket but the wire was behind my tie right. and it was pulling my tie towards my pocket so my tie oh. looked like it was just it looked like it was just crooked like mm-hmm. really badly crooked so i'm like i don't know what to do because i kept trying to put it back and it kept pulling if i just moved around a little bit so i saw the sound guy and i go hey man i'm about to go do this can you help me out can you fix the the my the, the pack can you fix it so so my tie is straight and all he does is what I did, he takes his hand and pushes the tie back towards the center of my chest. And I go, yeah, I did that. Like, I'm not, I'm not an idiot. Like, <laughs> and then sure enough, I went out with a crooked tie. End of the set, Letterman comes up. And while he's saying thank you, straightens my tie. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, let me straighten that out for you. Oh, oh, my God. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there embarrassed, but excited, but also like, can't believe it just happened. And uh, yeah, you, you, it's like, it's like you had this, um, your head just compounded. You hear like a ring in your head right after. Are you there? Are you physically present or are you doing, are you doing it? Like, so it's six months from audition to when you do it and they tell you early on, these are the jokes. So, you know, for much of that six months, this is the set. And then do you go out and do that set relentlessly? Yeah. You run that set a bunch. You send them tapes and they work on, they might switch the order around. Uh, And then then you guys, you kind of work on it together a little bit and they go, well, we'd like this here. And, we, and they want like a clear, they have certain parameters for the tapes. And like they're like, when you first submit, it has to be you're able to see your face. Uh, and then when you when you submit the other tapes, you do the same thing because you want them to get a good idea of what it would look like. Mm-hmm. Like they want it head on. Like you can't have it to the side or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of just going back with you're working with them by email, and 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 maybe they'll come out and check it out right before it, mm-hmm. right before it. Us. But you're doing yes, that was the only set I was doing for at least four of those months oh or gosh. three of those, whatever it was like. I, when I would, cause the good thing about New York is you're doing a lot of shorter sets. Right. So you have a lot of 10 minute sets. Right. So you're doing it at the end, you're switching it around to make yourself feel more comfortable, just going right into it, you know, stuff like that. So it was a whirlwind and it was, it was one of the craziest things that ever happened to me because I never in a million years thought I would do it. And never, How many applause never. breaks did you get? The currency of the Letterman appearance. Oh, I, not a ton. I, I didn't, I didn't have one of the, uh, probably one of the legendary Letterman sets. It went well enough, but I probably had two or three, two, maybe That's great. two. My mom, and my wife get along, which is good. Cause being married can be tough. The thing is this, when you get married, it's cliche to say, but sex does slow down when you get married. It's a known thing, but I wouldn't mind that as much, but my wife is awful at giving me excuses of why she can't have sex. Like the other day I wanted to have sex and my wife goes like this. She goes, I can't, I have to wake up early tomorrow. That's what she said. (laughs) That's a terrible excuse. That's awful, six minutes? You can't spare six minutes for this? This body makes you think you're waking up at noon tomorrow after we're done having sex. <laughs> this isn't a work you all night, wake up late tomorrow kind of sex body. <laughs> this isn't good sex. This is pale, fat, Irish depressing sex. <laughs> this isn't strawberries and ice cream sex. 
This is blood pudding sex. This is not 50 shades of gray sex. This is Angela's ashes sex. This is not good sex. The only way that you're waking up late tomorrow, do we have sex? Is if we have sex and then we watch all of the Godfather movies. It's the only way that's happening. There's gotta be more activities in that night to fill up the night. I had a good amount of my Conan set. The Conan set was pretty good. The one on the, the set I'm the most comfortable with and that I'm most proud of is the Colbert one. Just because? Because I was the most comfortable mm-hmm. and I think I did the best on it. I think the, the crowd reaction. Mm-hmm. And, and also like, yeah, just, the, just uh, I like the way it looks. I like the jokes that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I think it was the most exemplary of me. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I, I felt myself the most mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My next guest is the stand-up comedian you've seen on Broad City and Last Comic Standing. Please welcome Sean Donnelly. How you feeling? Some of you don't even think that I'm a comic. (laughs) Some of you think I'm just here to fix these lights, then leave. (laughs) I just look like everybody's uncle on the show. (laughs) It's actually hard for me to do shows these days because I can't come up here and not look like I voted for Trump three times the minute I get up here. I look like the voter fraud that he was talking about. And I actually feel bad for Trump sometimes, and I'll tell you why. Because he doesn't know what he's doing, right? He's first to being president. He doesn't know what he's doing, so it must feel weird for him to be president. And the only way I can think that he feels being president is like that time I went to a job interview and I lied about knowing QuickBooks. (laughs) And then I got the job. (laughs) Because here's the thing, I'm a pretty liberal guy. I don't like Trump. I think Trump's an idiot, but I'm also an idiot. I'm a smart idiot, but I'm an idiot. And the way that he reacts to things might be the way that I react to things sometimes. Like, remember when the hurricane happened? They go, what do you want to do? He goes, I don't know, fix it. That's what I would say. (laughs) That's exactly what I would say. I I don't know, fix it. Go ahead, fix it. I don't know, go ahead. You got a guy? I don't know, get a guy. I don't know. Called femur. What's it called? Femur? I have no idea. It's a leg bone and a government agency. Call them. Keep going. All right. Now, tell me about your new podcast. How many podcasts do you have going on? I mean, you know, every comic has to have about four or five, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm falling into that. Uh, into that. What realm. else is there to do with I, our time? Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, you're my, I was all talking to people about that. I go, I don't think I should put too much stuff out. They go, no, do it. Who cares? <laughs> I'm like, all right, good point. Uh, so I have, I have the movie podcast, which I would love to have you uh, on. I'd love to. Are you kidding? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, that's called Defend Your Movie. Yep. And I'm taping that right after we do this yep. actually. And on top of that, I have a show on Sirius Satellite Radio called uh, Celebrate, where it's me and Kevin McCaffrey and we take one topic a week and we celebrate it because everything's so shitty. We feel like let's try to be positive for an hour. Uh, Yeah. So we do one topic a week and then now my newest thing, which I'm really excited about because like we're talking about signs, man, like things have changed. Like the, the, um, I was never, even while watching signs, I thought it was always cool, but I was never the guy who was like UFOs are a thing. I think I always, not that I was a skeptic, but I was always like, Oh, it's probably some government thing or something. Like I always took it as like science fiction. Mm -hmm. But about three years ago, 
uh, ironically, right after I got divorced, so this is what uh, took up my time after I got divorced. You know, I, I, good time I to get into UFOs. UFOs. Good time to get into UFOs. You know, the love is not real, and also UFOs aren't. <laughs> you know? um, and uh, so, what happens is uh, this article comes out in the New York Times that basically it, it was a straightforward article. It was called "Black Auras, uh, uh, Dark Money, or Black Money." Glowing Auras and something else. It was by Leslie Keen and a bunch of other authors. And they worked on it for a while. And basically what it was talking about, it wasn't saying aliens are mm-hmm. real. What it was saying is uh, there is this group that nobody knew about in the in the midst of in the middle of the Department of Defense called ATIP, mm-hmm. which I forget what it stands for. Uh, but it's about aerial threats, mm-hmm. about stopping aerial threats. And what they were tasked with, because what was happening is. These these um, military higher ups and some of these senators were getting uh, concerns from people in the military saying, we're seeing all this stuff that we can't explain and we want somebody to figure out what's going mm-hmm. on. And Harry Reid and a couple other senators started this group called ATIP. They put $20 million into it. And for about seven years, there was this group that was tasked with studying these military-based videos mm-hmm. that were shot from F-18s and, uh, and I guess si- different sites on the ground and stuff like that. That were, and, and of these objects that they could not explain. Right. And when I say they cannot explain, that was their job to explain them. So they were like paid skeptics. And they have, if you look at a list of things that they think that it could be, there's about 150 things on the list. There's uh, birds, planes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, government projects, uh, ball lightning, mm-hmm. which I didn't know was a thing. Yeah. Apparently this, there's a thing called ball mm-hmm. lightning. Swamp gas is actually a thing. Chinese lanterns, like those yeah, lanterns. that float up, yeah. Exactly. Stuff like that. The, um, the uh, planets, the sun, uh, stars, like it, they, they had a list and they knew what the characteristics of these objects were. So they would take a look at these these videos that were shot and they would make a turn of that. And they could explain about 90 percent of these videos and 10 percent they could not. Mm. So that's that led to the, and then these three videos that were shot from F-18s yeah. at three different locations were released. Right. And that's what made me go wait, this actually seems pretty for real for me. So cut to a couple of years later, I was trying to do my part as far as like, I got, I got kind of into the world a little bit. I became friends with the guy who made the Bob Lazar documentary and, um, and Bob Lazar was the guy who basically broke area 51. Right. He, in, back in 89, he uh, was the, he, the, the whistleblower on that. He was working on these supposedly alien projects in um, a, a place called S4, which is south of Area 51. Mm-hmm. And he had a whole really believable story. And this guy has never made any money off this and cut to 30 years later. And now what's coming out about ATIP matches up with what Bob Lazar said about 30 mm-hmm. years ago. And the journalist that broke that story is this guy named George Knapp. So I've done stuff with George Knapp and hopefully going to have him on the podcast. But the main focus of the podcast is I have people who have seen stuff. They come on, they explain what they've seen and you decide if it's anything. Right. It's like that kind of thing. Just personal, almost like science because it's personal stories yep. about what people and their friends or their family have seen and what they couldn't explain. And they, in their own words, they tell me, and I ask some questions to get the, the like to get more information out of them, but I just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. We don't really analyze the stories. I don't tell you it's aliens that's the thing about it when the more believable somebody is the more boring they are do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like the more boring somebody is in one of these things the more believable yeah they are. so that's that's basically what the podcast is and it, we've had the second episode came out today it's uh the well, friday i don't know when this airs but it comes i mean uh, thursday yeah it comes out every thursday and it's been really fun to do awesome only a couple episodes so far i love it well thank you so much for coming on sean you're a smart funny guy with so many interests and you're the perfect podcast <laughs> guest I'm thrilled to have had you on and uh, I hope we get to do it again soon sometime. And I wish you all the luck with your new podcast. I'll definitely be checking it out. 
Yeah, man, definitely come do defend your movie. Okay. You'd be, we'll, we'll do whatever movie you okay, want. Okay, so do. Would you have to pick like a movie that nobody likes, or you just have to well, pick? no, but I we used to do that. It's a movie that nobody likes, but you like. But people were coming on and they go, I like it because it's bad. I'm like, that's not defending <laughs> the movie. So now we pick two movies against each other. So you pick one you love, oh, love that everybody could love, it. and then we put one that's similarly themed and we battle it out. Okay, yeah, exactly. great. Well. As you, as you probably know, uh, when you do a podcast, it's probably amazing to be a guest on a podcast. I've never had that experience, but it's probably a lot better to be oh. a guest than to be the guy producing it and editing the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that, you'll have a lot of fun. It's me and Andy Fiore. I don't know if you know Andy Fiore. I don't know but, him, no. I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, but yeah, but definitely come on, dude. Okay, bud. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Stay safe. I will. You too. Right, man. Bye. Bye.